The Courage to Lead, episode 140. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a, a great week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Chris Petrie. Chris Petrie is a Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Love as a Business Strategy um, and co-founder of Culture Plus, a culture as a service company. He works with and speaks at companies across a variety of industries and different sizes to strengthen their culture and organically build inclusive behaviors. Chris is vice president at Softway, overseeing HR and business development and supporting client projects through strategy, talent management, branding, communications, and tech ideation. Whether it's a talent conversation or helping clients solve a business challenge, the common thread is helping fellow humans get to their next level and beyond. Chris's passions have led him to a place where he gets to explore, learn, and create in multiple business areas. He's developed specialties in advertising, digital strategy, digital marketing, marketing automation and technology, uh, social media, innovation, sales, HR, change management, and internal communications. Chris, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Oh, this is awesome, man. You have done so much stuff. Where do we start? Where do we start? Um, Softway. I love uh, Softway, number one, the the programming I have, have going, but then you also came into Culture Plus. Tell yes. me a little bit about how, how that happened. Sure. So <clears throat> let's see, as my background shows, I've done a lot in my career. Um, I believe in the, a lily pad approach to building a career versus a direct bridge <laughs> over, right? So I've tried all different things, right? Yeah. But um, for, for me, you know, I joined Softway back in 2015. Okay. Um, and at that time, Softway was really trying to sort of uh, promote and lead with its um, digital strategy, whether that be digital marketing or digital technology, digital transformation. Um, and that was my background. And so in that, joined the company. Um, and about two weeks in, we had a major layoff, mm. <laughs> right? Like in imagine being two weeks in and you're like, uh, nobody told me that we were struggling. Uh, so I, you know, go to the CEO and I, I actually offer him to leave. And I'm like, I've been on the job market. I can, you know, sort of stir back up some conversations that I was having with others. Like, I don't, I don't want to be, you know, <laughs> a barnacle or, you know, in the way if you really need, you know, the money from my income. And, you know, he looked at me and he said, you know what, Chris, like, I don't know how I'm going to fix this if you leave. Um, And Mm. so I would really, if you're okay with it, like you to ask you to stay and help me figure this out. Cause I don't like, I don't know how to fix all the things that are happening. Right. So we were on the verge of bankruptcy and, you know, I, I had come from an organization where I had a, a fearless leader. Um, her name was Rebecca. Her name is Rebecca. She's still alive. She's still with us. <laughs> her name is Rebecca. Is Rebecca. Yeah. And she was always transparent with numbers. Um, and one of the things that she would always say when the numbers didn't look good is that we can all look at these numbers all day long, but that's not going to change these numbers. These numbers are driven by our everyday behaviors and decisions. So I need everyone here to be looking at what you are doing to contribute or not to the numbers that you see here. Right. Um, 
And so I've, I took that away, you know, so many years ago, right? Took that away. And, you know, when we were looking at sort of scary numbers as well, um, that was the conversation that Muhammad and I had, which is we can turn this around, not overnight, but we can turn this around for certain. Um, But it's going to start with us looking at behaviors, behaviors across every side of the business, right? Sales, delivery, operations, all of that. Um, and it's not going to be easy and it's definitely not going to be, um, something that people greet wholeheartedly, right? Because we're asking people to change and oftentimes we're asking people to change at their belief level, right? Not just their, you know, and my um, background is organizational change. I know how difficult that is (laughs) to get people to, to look at it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, at that time, Muhammad had a great revelation and a grand revelation where he realized that the outcomes that his business were seeing wasn't just the economy. It wasn't just clients making tough decisions internally. And we're at the sort of mercy of those. This was a culmination of the behaviors that he promoted, um, that he advocated, that he allowed to happen, that he himself modeled. Um, And it led to a culture where people just showed up for a paycheck, essentially, you know, just to be very blunt. And it was through that revelation that Muhammad started, you know, really looking at himself, changing himself. Um, and we got to a place where, you know, he was out there trying to do things, but the rest of his leaders were not. Yeah. Um, and he had to make some hard and tough decisions. So people ask when we write, when they hear love as a business strategy, do tough decisions happen in love? And I'm like, yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. uh, tough love is a thing. Um, mm-hmm. But for those leaders who are willing to make that leap and sort of work on themselves and accept that as humans, you know, I see humans as, as dichotomous. I mean, there's good and evil always. Right. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes the things that, that have served us, you know, in terms of our success, um, in terms of our titles, um, they no longer serve us when we are trying new things or changing. Right. And so getting right. people to that place of self-realization that I'm not a bad person, Right. Even though right. I've done bad things. Yeah. Um, and also I re- I did bad things with the information and knowledge that I knew at the time. Right. Right. Um, and so therefore I'm capable of change and I'm capable of, you know, turning away into a new path or direction um, without sort of going through that process of self-criminalization or, you know, eating at me or questioning or doubting, you know, what I'm capable of. Yeah. And we all had to do that as a leadership team. And after that, Software as a technology company started to operate completely differently, Um, so much so that one of our biggest clients noticed because they were with us before the transformation, during the transformation Mm. and after the transformation. Wow. And they said, uh, one, we love coming to your meetings. So like they would actually cancel their own meetings and stay like our meetings that would be for like 30 minutes or an hour, but end up being two hours to a full day, you know. Um, sort of and we're like, wow. I know we're not your only project. Are you sure we're not imposing? I'm like, no, we can, I can reschedule that. Like, you go, you guys are on campus today. You guys are on campus tomorrow, right? Like that was literally some of the conversations that were, that, that would happen. And wow. eventually it got to a place where um, a group of middle managers came to us and said, we want some piece of software inside of our own organization. Nice. Right. And we were like, uh, thanks, but we don't do that. <laughs> We literally wow. told them no. We said, no, that's not us. Like, this was our thing. We did this for ourselves. We love what we do, of course, um, but our focus and our passion and our expertise is in yeah. technology, communications, creativity. Like, those are the areas that legacy software 
you know, deliver yeah, for our customers. But to have a client reach out to you and say, we've seen this transformation. Can you help us do that same thing? Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. And that was how we got our start in the, in the sort of beginnings of Culture Plus, right? Wow. So we, we, after we couldn't push back anymore, they were like, uh, we know how much we give you. And I doubt you guys want to tell us no <laughs> so many times, right? And so yeah. those middle managers went and advocated for us to their senior leaders. And got their senior leaders to agree to doing, you know, some leadership sessions with their teams. And so we flew around the world, um, visited over 10 countries and sort of met with over 1400 leaders um, and actually facilitated two days worth of content that was solely focused on introspection. Um, Traditionally, yeah, traditionally, as you probably have seen in your career, when leaders get together, they want to talk about process, the people who are not in the room, the tools and tech and how everything is failing and how everybody else has this problem, but we're great. Um, And we were brought in to save everything, (laughs) right? Like that's typically what everybody wants to focus on and not say, wait, if I'm the leader and I'm calling out all the things that are failing, then technically I'm calling out my failure, (laughs) right? Um, And so changing that type of um, approach to the conversation, to leadership development was refreshing for a lot of leaders because they're like, this is the first time in my, you know, people management career that I've gotten to go somewhere where I only talked about and focused on me. Wow. Um, And in that, I'm now going back and I'm capable of doing differently and being better for my team. And many people actually transfer that into their family life. And said, like, I'm going to go sure. back and date my spouse. I'm going to go back and be a better parent. I'm going to go How back could and be you a better not? son. Right? right. Cause everything is connected. I mean, <laughs> exactly. whatever's happening in business is probably happening in your home life too. So if things are exactly. chaotic, they're chaotic in both places. Yeah. That introspection is something that businesses don't, mm-hmm. don't do enough of, you know? Yep. And, and to have it be, you know, a fortune 10 company at the, this is a fortune wow. 10 company doing this. Right. And to hear, you know, the personal impact that people took from content that was never meant for a personal, you know, um, sort yeah. of introspective moment. Um, but to hear that, you know, people were taking things that seriously and were resonating so much with what we were saying. And again, none of this is rocket science. Like we always say, like, we're just <laughs> reteaching you what you learned in kindergarten to, or kindergarten or, you know, before you walked into school, right? right. These are things that your, your parents probably instilled in you at a very early age that, you know, unfortunately, the way corporate life is, we just let go of those things or deprioritize those things. Um, one, because the systems and context around us say that those things are weak. Right. Um, or, you know, we have gotten so successful at not doing those things that we don't yeah. have to start doing those things. Well, we're told to leave that at the door. Yes. Leave your personal life and all that stuff at the door. We're here for mm-hmm. X. And yep. yeah. Wow. And and so that's what got us going. And then while we were doing the, you know, this tour of leaders, um, a few of them said, like, you guys should write a book. You guys should write a book. You guys should really write a book. And we're like, <laughs> why? Like, that's <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. And you sort of like, you get that and you sort of put it away. And then the pandemic happens. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of time on our hands. And that's when that idea to write a book resurfaced. And we were like, let's do it. We have a lot of time. Um, the world is reeling. Corporate mm-hmm. will likely not be the same after this. Yeah, hopefully um, not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, you know, we should share how our transformation actually prepared us for the pandemic to where we weren't having sort of the culture issue that had that pandemic hit when we were going through transformation. We probably wouldn't be here as an organization, to be honest. Wow. 
right? Wow. And then yeah. you you hear so many stories of organizations who, while they delivered so well and they sort of released the reins on trust and empowerment and gave people the ability to just live their lives and take care of home, but then also get the work done on their accord, you know, how successful they were. And then, you know, they realize the pandemic has, has lessened, right? And they want to send people back to the office and tell them like, you, you got to go back, you got to go back, <laughs> right? And the message that sends, you know, is it's the recoil is hard. Um, mm-hmm. And oftentimes it undoes the very thing that yeah. you probably had worked on building dr- throughout the pandemic. And yeah. so um, it was it was through the through our own sort of uh, conversations with our customers and also just people curious to know how we how we bounce back, um, knowing that we were facing um, bankruptcy for uh, a couple of years um, and to see us thriving. We said, hey, let's write it. So during the pandemic, you know, evenings and weekends, we were writing book. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. So I, I want to get deeper into the book because I love the book. Okay. Um, yeah. And I know people probably have questions about it because it seems out of place. Love mm-hmm. as a business yes. strategy. Come on, you got to be kidding, right? But I, yeah. I, yeah, I love the concept of the book and stuff. So yeah, I want to talk about that and other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but before we get too deep into this, I've got my icebreaker question. Let me oh, right. ask these yes. questions for you. Um, these are questions I ask every one of my guests. They're questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where host James Lipton asks these questions of his guests from Hollywood, TV, film, stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. <laughs> I like right. it. So Chris, 10 questions. Question number one for you. What is your favorite word? My favorite word is... I'm trying to think of the word that I use the most often if that's really the favorite. Or if it's the favorite thing, the, the word that I like to say just because it's... So I really like the word onomatopoeia. Okay. So I don't know why that word has stuck with me since um, high school. I don't know if it's just like the way it sounds, but the fact that it, it sounds like what it means. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with the word that I love saying, which is onomatopoeia. Perfect. All right. What which is, is a word your... that sounds like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is uh, your least favorite word? No. Perfect. What, what turns you on? Challenges and puzzles. Cool. What turns you off? Seeing people who are the underdog getting mistreated. Cool. What sound or noise do you love? Beyonce. (laughs) (laughs) What sound or noise do you hate? smoke alarm in my house. Okay. It's very sensitive. So it goes off often. <laughs> Same here when I'm cooking mainly. I think it's a yes. commentary on my cooking. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? It rhymes with which. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Being a professor. Yeah. Professor mm-hmm. of what? Um, I guess business. <laughs> um, I don't know. I've always thought like, oh, that'd be fun to be a professor. I guess maybe because I enjoyed my college experience so much. So very cool. All right. Question nine. What profession would you not like to do? Accounting. Yes. 
that seems to be high up on the list. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I'm not ready for you yet. Go back. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good job. All right. Timing is everything. All right. I want to come back and talk more, uh, dig a little deeper into the book, uh, the best-selling book, Love as a Business Strategy. Talk a little bit more about mm -hmm. culture as a service, um, how that um, works with companies and what you do, how you work with them and stuff. Um, and then we're going to talk about courage and leadership. All right. Perfect. So we're going to talk about all that and probably a lot more right after this. So listeners, stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Chris Petrie. Chris, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Um, love having you guys on. Love the story of Softway and the things you went through. I know it was traumatic. Uh, Muhammad was on the podcast a few episodes back. And he talked about that, that moment when he realized that it was him, you know, that, that the, everything that was going on was a direct result of, of his leadership style. Um, tell me about that as a person, you, you were there for mm -hmm. a while at the, at the, yeah. I guess the height of it or the near the end of it. What was that yes. like to come in? Yeah. So <clears throat> um, again, two weeks in was the layoffs, but also like, Right before that, um, Muhammad sent out this refrigerator email, and it is the actual email itself is in the book. Um, and when he sent it, you know, I was like, oh, I would never have sent this, right? But he's like, he's basically saying, like, is this the way you live at home? Is this what your, how your parents taught you? Like that, like going into that depth around just the fridge being dirty. Wow. I remember the back channeling about that email got to a place where that email was forwarded to old employees. It was sent to people that he didn't intend for it to go. He had become a laughingstock and he didn't even know it. And me being the new director, um, everyone said, you know, Chris, you should go and talk to him about this. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I just got here. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> just got here and they're like yeah but he likes you so you know he, he probably won't you know yell or anything so you should probably go talk to him and tell him like how, what his email has has created yeah. and so i'm the sort of um the tribute if you watch the hunger games right so yeah i was volunteered as tribute wow. um, to go and have that conversation so i set up a one-on-one -on -one, you know end of day friday <laughs> I'm like, this is, a <laughs> this is the time to do it. <laughs> you got to be strategic exactly. yeah, in these types of environments. You got to be strategic on, you know, when you get this cars at the front door running, ready to go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm having the conversation with Muhammad and I'm like, Hey, you know, let's talk about that email. You know, what's, what's going on? Like, what, what are you hoping, you know, was accomplished by that email? And, you know, he's defending it and he's like, Chris, you don't understand. I've been so, you know, um, I've been talking to them so much about this fridge and it's it's you know it still doesn't get clean and he's just like defending it and defending it and defending it and i finally just said well i don't know another way to tell you this but 
had you sent that email at a previous employer, you would have gotten fired. You know, like that would have been a fireable offense. And he stopped and he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, that the way, like what you did with that tone, the way you sort of talk to people, like that's mm-hmm. not okay for, you know, anyone, but, but also we could have found other ways to get the outcome that you were looking for without that email. And I was like, and I'm happy to sit down with you and figure out how could we have done this differently or in the future when the fridge becomes nasty, like what, what are ways that we can get it done without you having to do that? Because what you don't know is that that email is now being circulated outside of the walls of Softway and you are at the butt of the joke. Right. And, and that was when he sort of stopped and froze because I don't think anybody (laughs) sort of just cut to the chase and got to you know, what they wanted him to understand in terms of his behavior. And I'm not crediting myself with him getting to the realization that it was him, but this was the hardest conversation that I've had as a new employee in an organization where wow. me and the CEO are having this type of a conversation. And after that weekend, he came back on Monday and he, you know, reversed that email and said, you know, hey, you guys, sorry about that, but, you know, let's clean this fridge together, right? So if you're game, meet me at this time and we're going to just clean out the fridge, right? And it became, you know, a recovery situation, but he did come back and say like that conversation helped him a lot, right? And I think from, from the experience that I've had, which is far different than those who have been with, had been with him for a long time. You know, I started to engage with him, not as a, I'm afraid of you, Muhammad, but more, I see that you're struggling with things that you're not sharing with others. Right. So let's, let's talk about that instead of feeding your anger or feeding your feeling of frustration or feeding whatever it is that you feel, you know, when you start to behave in ways that you're not proud of. And so that was my, that was the context of my my relationship with Muhammad during that time. So um, when people share some of their stories, I'm like, I don't have anything as <laughs> egregious, right? Um, but I can tell you that, and I told I tell him and I tell everyone that when it comes to, you know, misbehavior and anger and all of those things, like just because I'm having this calm conversation with you doesn't mean that I, I don't get angry. Sure. <laughs> it also means that my anger, you know, isn't there, right? So I misbehave you know, as much as you do, sure. perhaps, but what people see is your anger, right? And it's a very demonstrative modeling that you have, right? But I will tell you that I've just gotten better at disguising my anger in ways <laughs> that still have an impact negatively in the organization. So I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to tell you that you are, you know, the worst person ever. I'm here to say that if we don't start talking about what makes us triggered, right, mm-hmm. we're going to mm-hmm. see that all of these misbehaviors start ricocheting off of each other. Exactly. Right? And that's, you know, Mohammed talked about how that was kind of the, the leadership model that he had. And mm-hmm. I, I, I grew up in manufacturing, right. I worked at Lockheed <laughs> Aircraft years, years ago. Mm-hmm. And that was the way managers were. They would get in your face and scream. I actually saw in one meeting, this mm-hmm. little guy crawled across the table and grabbed somebody else by the lapels and held him up screaming at him. That was oh, the way wow. that was the management style. It's like, yeah. okay, that's, that may have worked at one time. You yes. just can't do that kind of stuff now, you know? Right, right. And I think that that was, because I I hate trying to come off like, oh, I'm just so good. I did, I was like, <laughs> I had the best leaders early in my career, right? And that was because um, the chief sales officer for the, the global parent company that worked for us 
found out that I had this title that she needed in front of her customers. And so she invited, and this is Rebecca, the person I was talking about mm-hmm. earlier. Um, and she invited me to do all these things. And then she started like meeting with me and pouring into me. Right. And so I, I have this sort of great example um, very early in that, you know, I get into other organizations and I'm like, that's not everybody's experience. Everybody doesn't have exposure to a great leader early in their career to understand how do you model the right conversations and how do you model, you know, um, the, the harder things and the softer things as well when it comes to operating a business, leading people in a business. And so um, I'm ever so grateful that that was my experience. So I don't have a lot of, you know, stories of someone yelling at me, screaming at me, embarrassing me, humiliating me. Right. And so when you get into organizations where that is commonplace or where there is someone who that's the way that they, you know, behave when they get triggered, you know, I'm like, Oh, this is it. This is that thing. Right. And so for, for, for me, um, it's about making sure that everybody understands that that's just one way of showing anger. Yeah. I can tell you there's a whole lot more worse ways that potentially can do sabotage, whether you start ignoring people completely that report mm-hmm. into you, whether you play mind games with people and start making them think they're crazy, right? Like we right. can go into so many things that you can do to, you know, still Im- impact others in ways that are unseeming or create an environment where trust and empowerment and inclusion are non-existent. Sure. I mean, and it's natural to feel those things. Yeah. It's how do you deal with them? Right. Mm-hmm. And exactly. like I said, you had, you had a good role model that kind of taught you the way, how did you help Mohammed kind of rebuild the organization? How did you teach these new leaders coming in that this is how we do things here? Yeah. Um, and so in partnership with Mohammed and a few other leaders, we, we did the, um, it's, it's an event called mind shift that we did internally. We took everyone off site. And we honestly started talking about things, right? When I say talking about things, I'm saying calling out the behaviors and the patterns that we saw in ourselves as leaders versus mm-hmm. talk around it versus use, use case studies around how other businesses have you know, started and failed where you don't hear you know, how the leaders operated as a team and, and how they you know, behaved or misbehaved with each other and their, their teams. And so we honestly had those hard and crucial conversations and we had the rest of the team who wasn't in leadership write letters to us. And the mm-hmm. prompt was, how do we make you feel when we're in the room? Interesting. Now, wow. what did you learn from us? Now, what, like, how do we make you feel? And people wrote those letters anonymously. Mm-hmm. And some were directed at specific individuals. Some were directed at the entire team. Um, some gave, you know, critical feedback was positive and, you know, things to work on. Some were just like, I felt the smallest around you. I like just going straight to the point. Um, and we read those together as a team out loud. Wow. Um, and, and that was the wow. impact that got us to understand that like, wait, <laughs> it's not about what we know. You don't lead yeah. from who, what, you, what you know when you're navigating change or in a difficult problem, you lead from who you are. Yeah. Right. And so our education, our experience, our projects that we've done, you know, the relationships that we had, none of that matters to someone when they're getting mistreated. True. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) And so us having that realization and hearing it from our team, from the horse's mouth, from the very people that we thought loved us, everybody loves us, right? We're leaders, right? (laughs) Um, Not the case. (laughs) And that was, that was how we started getting people to understand. And then after that, 
it was more about ha- like helping people build better relationships with their teams, right? So one of the easy wins that Muhammad and I started was one-on-ones, of course, and everybody does those. But what happens in those one-on-ones should be fundamentally different than traditionally what could be happening in a one-on-one, right? Asking people how they're doing. What are you struggling with? What am I not helping you with? Right. Asking for feedback. Right. What do you need? Where are you trying to go? (laughs) Right. Yeah. How can can I help help you get there? there? Exactly. (laughs) Right. No, I I just had this conversation with a lady on the podcast uh, the other day that there are difficult conversations, right? Productivity, attendance, things like that. Those you've probably had those conversations with employees before. So you know what is going to go, how it's going to go. You know, the script, the person who you're talking to has probably had that same conversation before because, you know, they know the script, but when you start off with, how are you, yes. how are you feeling? What could I do to help you? Blah, blah, blah. That's uncharted territory. You have no yep. idea where that conversation is going to go. And to open Correct. yourself up and say, tell us how we make you feel. Wow. That's, yep. that's courageous. Yeah. And it was <laughs> courageous to listen to it. But then um, we, those sessions that I talked about with our customers where they said, help us be like you. We did the same activity and they had the same impact the same type of letters. Right. Wow. So you start to realize that humans are humans, no matter where mm-hmm. you go, sure. <laughs> big or small, different industries, whatever the case may be, like people have the same types of tools, you know, at their disposal, good or bad. And, but you have to, you have to set the ground rules for that because, yeah. you know, it's like, if we're all, my wife and I argue, Right. But mm-hmm. when we argue, we're arguing to achieve the same thing. We're coming yes. at it from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. You have to be that way in, in business too. It's like, our, what are we trying exactly. to achieve or what goal are we trying to reach? And yep. then let's, you know, fight it out. And mm-hmm. you have to lay, do, do you go through the process of laying the ground rules of how this works and how not to get upset mm-hmm. at what they're saying to take it yes. in as a, a positive? Wow. Yes. So that's one of the big things that we talk about is active listening, um, but also growth and fixed mindsets. Right. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're not aware of the mindset that you're operating in, in certain conversations, you could be limiting yourself. Yes. You could be jumping to conclusions. You could be completely wrong in everything that you're saying, even though educationally you're right, <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. Um, and I think starting with mindset. So when we say, you know, if culture eats strategy for breakfast, behaviors eat culture for lunch, then we look at behaviors as the culmination of your mindset, your attitudes, and your communication, right? And when you start looking at your mindset and saying, wait, what else could be true other than what I'm believing or thinking at the moment? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because your behavior is on the outward (laughs) manifestation of that, right? Exactly. So if if the behavior doesn't fit, then it's something with the, the mindset. Love it. Exactly. Yeah. And so when you're, when you know, you're in those conversations where tensions are high, you know, ideological difference exists um, and there's a lot on the line. Centering yourself before you walk into those conversations to question what mindset do you have? Is it growth or is it fixed? Yeah. Right. Um, and then allowing for people other than yourself, especially if you're the leader, to speak up and you sit and listen. Mm-hmm. And you're not just listening at what they're saying, you're listening at what they're not saying right? Yeah. You're listening at it from their perspective. You're asking questions back that are not 
sort of quizzing them on what they just said, but asking, wait, how did you come there? Like, what else am I missing? What else, what other context do you have that I may not have, right? That could be leading to that perspective that you built, right? And when you, when you look to me, when I look at conflict that way, I start to see, oh, I can take bits of this and this other person who has other pieces of the context, right? And we can build a story. So, you know, that question around what turns me on, which is challenges and puzzles Mm -hmm. to me in a team or in a relationship, everyone has a piece of the puzzle and we have to try and put, get it all out there. But oftentimes we build cultures and environments where people want to keep their puzzle piece because either they don't feel comfortable sharing it because it's going to get torn up (laughs) or they feel like, you know, no one has listened to my previous puzzle pieces. So why would I share it now? Right. Right. Well, and this is what I know. And you're asking me to, you know, agree to, to come into something that's, that's new and different for me. So, yeah, exactly. And so having Mm -hmm. the, that perspective, one takes the edge off. Right. And, um, we did this exercise last week with our team where we we helped everybody understand their superpower. Like, so what what are you really great at? And something that isn't like this hard technical skill, like, oh, you can know how to do marketing, right? Like that's <laughs> not what we're looking for. Like, right. what is that that skill and that gift that you have that can get you out of <laughs> difficult situations or mm-hmm. whatever, right? And so um, we broke into small groups and so my team you know, they're like, oh, Chris, you know how to like make things that are very tense, feel fun and relax. And so I'm like, yeah, well, that has always been my tactic because I have to, as a salesperson, my, my, one of my previous hats was business development. Right. And I'm like, Ooh, how am I going to get information out of a customer mm-hmm. <laughs> without it feeling like an inquisition or an overreach, et cetera. Right. And I'm like, Oh, we're going to joke about stuff. Right. <laughs> so, you know, levity was one of the the tools that I had to develop because that's a magical way of getting people to open up and to sure. share and to, you know, give in a safe, a safer way where they know they're not going to be judged or you've already judged yourself by self-deprecating humor, whatever the case may be. And so um, when it comes to these types of difficult conversations, I do try and bring that type of environment in because I already know that it's tense right? Absolutely. People have put a lot of things into the situation or equation that may or may not be true, may or may not be necessary, but for whatever reason, whether it's, oh, this is a high visibility thing, or there's a lot of revenue writing on this, or my career is writing on this, right? And that creates a tension and a pressure that some people start to misbehave in and they don't know it, right? (laughs) Or opportunities to connect, collaborate, listen, right? Are, are lost because of all that self-inflicted pressure, I'm going to say. And so, you know, as you said, when you argue with your wife, you're everybody trying to get to the same goal, right? right? Like as a team, we wouldn't be a team unless we're all trying to get to the same goal, right? So I have to believe that everybody in this conversation wants the same thing as me, which is success or, you know, this to be a huge, you know, win for everybody. So I try and remember that when there's differences that arise, like the common thread here is that I'm hoping that everybody here (laughs) is trying to achieve the same thing. And if I say that, then I want all of us to start from that place. And so if I'm leading that conversation, I do say that out loud. I say the quiet parts out loud to make sure that we're not forgetting that. And to help, you know, prevent as much sure. as possible clashes that, you know, sort of lead us to a point of no return. 
Well, that's, yeah. And it's not always easy. I'm working with a client where their leadership team is just starting to kind of form like this. Same thing. Mm -hmm. They have to trust each other. They have to yep. feel confident enough and, and comfortable enough with each other to where they can say, hey, you let me down when you didn't attend the meeting that we set up or you didn't yep. get this information to me when I needed. Mm -hmm. It's not a, a criticism. It's a, hey, we need to make this better. We need to make this right, you know, type thing. And yep. that's, it takes, it takes a while to learn those skills. Oh, it is. And it's not something and I, I remind as many people, especially leaders who are senior who've had, who have all the degrees. I'm like, there is no degree on influence. Mm -hmm. There mm -hmm. is no degree on building relationships. There's degrees that tell you how relationships work and like, you know, what the mechanics right. are of having deep relationships, but there's no degree that tells you this is the only or best way to build a relationship, right. to influence others, um, to uh, communicate effectively in all situations and contexts, right? Like that isn't in our education, right? No, um, and most of the stuff they teach you is theory. And, exactly. you know, the practical, you know, application is, is a little different. <laughs> exactly. And so don't feel bad that you don't have these tools, right? Like, don't feel bad that these aren't, you know, things that you can just go pick up a book, read and deliver on the next day. Right. These take practice. Um, it takes failure, <laughs> yeah. a lot of failure, right? Absolutely. Um, it takes witnessing others, modeling that. Um, it takes coaching. Um, it takes listening to people who may not be at the same level as you, right? Yeah. And sometimes that's the hardest part for sitting mm. leaders is that your answer is actually not above you or next to you. It's technically, if you look at the org chart beneath you, yeah. and if mm. you would humble yourself and go and talk to those and yeah. listen, you might find that the answer that you've been seeking or the strategy that you've been missing or the puzzle piece that you haven't found is actually in someone who has less education, sure. less experience, you know, compared to you, or, you know, is doing something that you don't technically know how to do, right? Because sometimes as leaders, we lead teams with people who we can't sure. do their work. We've never done their work, right? Yeah. And so I think having that, we call it intellectual humility, or I call mm -hmm. it intellectual humility to be yeah. able to say, wait, I might be wrong on everything here, <laughs> even, even though I'm right. paid to know, right? Even though I'm paid to be the VP or whatever, right. I may not have a complete picture as I but make decisions. The leaders you know, don't have to know everything, but they have to be able to surround themselves with people who do know exactly. And they have to be open to listen to that. Right. That's one of the courages yes. we talk about the intellectual mm -hmm. courage, like you yes. said, the humility to set aside your beliefs and knowledge to make room for someone else, because that answer mm -hmm. can definitely come from someone, you know, beneath yep. you. So speaking about courage, writing a book like mm -hmm. that, love is a business strategy. Um, yeah. Writing a book in itself is mm -hmm. courageous, I think, but yes to take those hard lessons and put them out there for everybody to see that had to be tough. What was that? What was that like? So, so I'll be honest, like, as we were, as we were all writing this, we had made the commitment to each other that we're going to share the mistakes and not just the perfections of the mistakes. Right. We've read so many books and case studies where everything just comes across, like they did it out the gate. Perfect. Right. And it worked. <laughs> And so when we did that, we had to have the honest conversation as co-authors. Are we got, are we okay with this being recited back to us that we <laughs> we did these types of things, right? And when you talk about courage, you know, you know, I think 
traditionally people fear their mistake or their words being thrown back at them mm-hmm. and then having to defend it or still having to um to push people or persuade people to consider me still worth listening to or my book worth reading etc um and that was the hardest part of it was knowing like accepting that one the mistakes that we've made got us here but still those mistakes might be considered dumb or i can't believe y'all did that like you should have known better right like having to have those types of conversations but to date that hasn't been the conversation right and so i think sometimes um courage is also accepting that what you're afraid of is still an imagined trouble that isn't true (laughs) that is true right absolutely um, and, and having those conversations with Mohammed, sitting him down and saying, Hey, there's probably a better way to do this. Mm-hmm. That took some courage too. And yeah. do you, your, your previous boss, is that where you, you found that courage? Uh, yes. <laughs> so, um, Rebecca had this great way of having difficult conversations and still making you feel like she, she loved you. Right. Like that was, yeah. that was her superpower. Right. Cause if she meets me to this day, she will give me a critique. <laughs> she will say, right? Like, and she's a client of mine, right? So I, I <laughs> she went from being a mentor to now a client, right? Nice. And even in client interactions with me, she was still in front of the team's like, y'all know Chris needs to improve on this, right? Like he could have done this better, <laughs> right? And I love it because <laughs> when yeah. it lets everybody know that I'm willing to receive that feedback, but also that is the, to me, the best way of getting someone to one, see how they're being perceived, um, and also in a safe way, giving them the ability to know where to pivot, right? And what the solution is or what to try next time, et cetera. And so I think having that type of model in my early years gave me enough courage to say like, well, if Rebecca was able to do it, I can surely do it, right? I'm going to use her faith and her experiences, right? Like I've never had to tell the CEO anything like this before, but you know, I'm going to try and approach it like Rebecca would approach me when I was making mistakes inside of sales conversations. Right. And, you know, there were times where she was like, Chris, you need to stop doing this. Sure. <laughs> right. She's like, would you want somebody to do that to you? Cause like, I, like that was my first sort of sales mistake was nagging people. She's like, would right. you want to be nagged? Would yeah. you want somebody to do that to you? Like you probably wouldn't <laughs> like it either. She's like, they know they haven't responded to you. <laughs> and yeah. so that was like the first, like, aha, like, ah, oh, man. Awesome. And I hate using like the mom word because like she's not a mom. She's not right. my mom. But it just reminded me of like the straight to the chase type conversation that just gets people to clearly see, oh, you're right. I need to just be better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> we don't need to talk about it. Like that was our thing. It's like she once I said, got it. I know what you're saying. Um, I she didn't have to sort of continue to fuss. Right. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes where some leaders get it wrong, where they intend to be that and tend to be sort of like that help, but they continue to fuss and don't let it go. And that person got the message first two minutes in the conversation. Right. (laughs) Right. And now you're just beating the dead horse, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely a good leadership style. So that would bring me up to the next question. Then if I was to Mm -hmm. bump into any of your employees and ask them about you, what would they tell me about your leadership style? What kind of leader are you? Yeah. So I, fortunately I'm coming off of this superpower exercise. So I got it. So, my face. Okay, so good, good. Um, what I was told is that, you know, in working with me, you're always going to learn why I'm doing what I'm doing. Nice. 
And that was because that was modeled to me. Rebecca always let me know why she was doing what she was doing, right? Even if she, let's say we were in front of a customer, she couldn't just say, like, Chris, I'm saying this because of these reasons. <laughs> After that meeting, she would say, if you notice, I said these things because I needed them to hear X, Y, and Z, right? And so having someone break down, you know, especially someone with either more experience or someone who you are trusting to help you grow in a certain area, having them break down why they're doing what they're doing to me allows for you to be able to pick up the pieces or go to your next or, you know, uh, take over if necessary, Mm -hmm. you know, and not feel like you've been left orphan or you don't know exactly what you should be doing because you never got the why. Exactly. No, the why is definitely important. Um, When you go into these different companies and help them and work with the culture plus and everything like that, what what do you Mm -hmm. see first? What is there, what's missing or what's broken when you go into those companies? I think the first thing that we as a team all notice is the the reinforcement of hierarchy. Mm. There's so much comfort in hierarchy. And I think that's that's also what drives so many behaviors is people are trying to get to that place where they're treated like gods. And that sounds horrible, but that's honestly what we see is, oh my gosh, you know, before we can even talk to the CEO or the senior most of a team we've gotten like, okay, this person really doesn't like it when this happens and they really want you to do it this way. And if I can just speak for them, like, here's probably what they're going to say, right? Like there's all of this coaching and prep that goes into just having a simple conversation or meeting. And oftentimes that leader has no idea that that's happening. Yeah. No idea. (laughs) No idea. There's a difference between structure and hierarchy, right? Correct. Yeah. And, And we believe that communication should never follow hierarchy. Communication in its most effective state should go to the places where it needs for immediate action. So if that means that Muhammad, our CEO, needs to talk to uh, a project manager about a particular client or an issue, like we don't snake through the organization to get that communication down. Right. One big but email blast out to everybody. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that happens in so many organizations because sure. there's this sort of, you know, this hierarchical view that. A VP can only talk to a director and a director can only talk to the manager and the manager can only talk to the court, right? Like, and right. It, it flows that way. Um, but it's not just in that communication, it's in the behaviors, right? Yeah. Um, I studied communication in college. And so nonverbal communication was like the biggest sort of like, you see so much, right? Like, um, and mm-hmm. in nonverbal communication, the way that people respond to power is a nonverbal reaction in many cases, mm-hmm. Right. It's not just the way they speak to how they behave around power. And so in any meetings, I'm observing how people are shrinking themselves, moving away from power, um, refusing to touch or look at power um, and all those things that you you would think like, I don't do that. Like, I don't do that. Like, go into a (laughs) Fortune 500 company and you will see those those sure. very same patterns um, among everyone, including if the CEO is meeting with his lieutenants, right? Like the lieutenants yeah. will still behave in ways that reinforce hierarchy. Um, and unfortunately, that allows for a lot of the ills and many toxic organizations to stay there. And oftentimes leaders um, in the power seat are invisible to the things that are happening around them, right? Yeah. Or they love it because it serves their ego if they've right. sort of stru- if they've been aiming towards getting that type of recognition right so there's a lot of psycho- psychology at play for sure sure but for us 
the first thing I notice is are those types of things yeah. because when we start engaging, if that leader is looking for honesty, if that leader is looking for innovation, if that leader is looking for a pivot in terms of their business, those are the things that keep them from those types of outcomes, right? Like yeah. nobody's going to be honest with you because you haven't given permission yet, unfortunately. Well, and if you were talking about the hierarchy, there's all those gatekeepers yep. too. Exactly. You know, here's this great idea. Well, I don't want to get it past me because then it'll look like I'm not doing my job, you know, or exactly. something like that. Is it business schools that's that's keeping that kind of structure in place? Are they teaching that hierarchical model that's keeping us where we are? So I think it's a mix of business schools. I also think it's a mix of like onboarding programs. Like mm. a lot of things get reinforced sure. um, both formally and informally in the way that we onboard our team members, right? Yeah. One of the things that we started to do differently um, is we let the new hires meet. We Everybody gets a one-on-one with me and just about every leader in the organization nice. within two weeks. Nice. So, and the conversation is really trying to reinforce that I am just a person please not look at me as the title that someone introduced me as I, if you have a problem and you feel like nobody's listening, I want you to come to me. If you have an idea that you're not sure about, and you want to test it with somebody, you can come to me, you can come to whoever you feel the most comfortable with, within, you know, the leadership team, that is your right. And that is your choice. And that is something that we completely welcome. And you will not be pushed back, you know, fired or penalized for doing so. Right. So helping them see that communication does not have to follow hierarchy in the organization and letting them know that my title means that I can you have a platform to make sure that that idea gets heard. Right. If I believe in and I'm like, (laughs) yeah, right. Like I want you to see me as a, you know, a supporter of yours and not as a lord over you. Right. And I think that those types of things don't happen in many organizations because we're taught to one, respect the senior most, respect their time, not waste it. Right. Um, And why bother them with an introduction to someone on the team? And usually that leader is up on Mahogany Row and you're not allowed up there anyways. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very cool. So the culture plus, is this something Mm -hmm. that you guys teach other businesses how to do? Do you teach other coaches how to take this into organizations? So all of the above. So we um, <clears throat> it's split between experiences or the trainings, um, and then there's digital products that support, sustain, scale. You know the cultural change. So in the experiences, Seneca leaders or Seneca teams. One we name it after Seneca. Not that we're teaching Stoicism, but he had this, you know, this this philosophy that you know, being about your actions and behaviors is more important than just sharing good words and wise words and making people feel some type of way with what you're saying. Um, And so we truly believe that leaders are successful or not through their behaviors, their everyday behaviors. And so we spend time in those experiences, breaking that down into different topics like trust introspection, self-awareness, inclusion, misbehavior, psychological safety, like all these topics. And we try and do it from a practitioner lens. So we're not coming in as academics and saying, read this case study and answer these questions. No, we're, we're sharing like, here's how we messed it up, right? You want to talk about some, some crazy things, like let's share our own experiences. So we're not preaching at you. We're not telling you that we got it and you need to get it. 
we're saying that leadership is a continuum. It's a journey and there's no sort of destination in sight. Um, you can be better than the way the, than you were yesterday and still have things to achieve a year from now. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so we, have these revelatory conversations um, and we ask for a lot of participation, right? We make it a safe space um, and people share what they're going through, what they struggle with, what are their triggers as leaders, right? Um, Asking them how people might be perceiving them, right? Mm -hmm. Like getting them to really think, right? And take a day to do so. Um, And then from there, you know, once we've kickstarted that or activated the leaders into that type of thinking, when they have these small commitments that they start making around, what can you change tomorrow in a small way that you know you can do, right? And like the most common thing that we see and that we recommend is gratitude is oftentimes lacking among teams, right? Yep. So I want you to think of one person on your team who you can thank for something they did recently and a very specific thing they did recently that made a difference, regardless of what that difference is. Do that by a certain date that you can check it off and say, I did it. And typically when they do something like that, they see their reaction. Mm. And for some people I've heard, you would have thought like I gave them a million dollar raise the way they responded yeah. just yeah. to a thank you. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just to be appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because it is so uncommon, right? Yes, exactly. Like and so, and so it's those types of things where like, if we can make change, feel small, approachable, simple, even if it isn't easy. Right. I promise you, you'll stick with it because the reactions that you'll get will make it look like you spent a million dollars on someone or on a team and you didn't, right? Because yeah. so often, in, in, especially within executive leadership, you you hear the pushback around time and budget. I can't afford to send my team to Hawaii every time I want to thank them. I didn't say that. Right? Like, no. I, like, I don't have the time to write, you know, 20, you know, thank you notes every week. I was like, I didn't say that either. Right. Like they create these mountains mm-hmm. um, that they have to come across because scale has been going back to business school, right. scaling right. everything at once is the only way to succeed in business. And I'm like, yeah. you modeling the right behaviors can actually scale, but I need you to focus on just your part. <laughs> And it doesn't have to be huge. Like you said, yes. you know, I mean, a trip to Hawaii would be great. Exactly. Yeah. But a lot of times I worked at one place where it was just a sticky note left on my computer. Yeah. Did a great job yesterday. It's like, I didn't even know you noticed, you know, right. but just to get that recognition, sometimes exactly. that's all it takes. Very cool. Yeah. And then we culture plus sort of, we, we, we go in and we train the leaders first if we can, like that's our preferred way to start. And then that trickles into middle managers, um, and teams. And then we also do a train the trainer. So if okay. you have a large organization and, you know, we being the size that we are, we know we can't, like if someone's like really quickly trying to roll out a culture transformation or some sort of business transformation and culture is a huge part of it. Um, we'll train trainers inside of the organization to be able to facilitate things in ways that are, you know, aligned to our philosophy and our framework. Um, and then allow for them to be successful and, and, and effective and efficient in getting that type of change rolled out. So cool. we look at it from two different lenses and, of course, different strokes for different folks. So depending yeah. on the organization, timelines, et cetera, um, we recommend all those things. And then 
Um, we have those digital tools that aid in either furthering the message, helping people sustain. So we have, you know, uh, I know you're Coach Harlan, but, you know, you can't meet, you know, 2,000 people if, if someone said, you know, I need um, help with coaching 2,000 people. So we created a digital app called um, Seneca Go that is meant to be a, an executive coach in your pocket. So we create content okay. that pushes videos that challenge people to think differently about certain topics that we've covered in the session itself um, and give them exercises to try and do and commit to, nice. right? And they can document what they are learning and seeing. Um, they can get feedback from others that they trust. So we can let you create a, a fat five circle. So nice. <laughs> you have five nice. people that you can sort of help hold you accountable to it. And then we've also built a culture counter um, tool that allows for us to measure how the behaviors that people are witnessing uh, every day are laddering back to the KPIs that you have as um, as, as a leader um, or as an organization, right? And we sit down with you up front to help make those connective pieces, right? So, for example, if someone's saying like, "We want to release, you know, twelve new products this year," so it's like, okay, so innovation is the thing, right? Like, how inclusive is your organization? Do people feel included in the teams that they operate in? Because I'm telling you, if they don't feel included, they're not, you're not going to get new ideas. Yeah. Right. So we can measure how included people feel within their teams, within, with their leaders, with their teams. Um, and, you know, we can calculate those scores and we can see the gaps between what the leader says they are. Like, I'm definitely including everybody. And if everybody's like, mm, not so much, we can show like, <laughs> nice. hey, these particular the teams. Yeah. Like, yeah leaders feel one thing, but the teams are saying something else. We need to look into this. So we really try and help people, uh, especially leaders, see that there is a connect between culture and business sure. outcomes. Cause there's sure. been that sort of question mark for so many people. Yep. I hear the reports and I hear the research, but in my organization, I don't know how that is. Right. So we've created a tool to really help show an organization's progress and journey when it comes to you started with us and this is where you were, right. Your leaders were saying this, your employees were saying that, and there was this big disconnect in these areas. A year in, here's now where you are succeeding, but also where areas of opportunity are, right? Nice. And many organizations that we've worked with have enjoyed that type of insight because sure. it's not like, it's not simplifying culture into metrics. It's instead illuminating the areas that success is happening and where opportunities still lie. And I think that's what's needed because a lot of companies don't understand how right. culture impacts the bottom line. So that's, exactly. yeah, that is so. awesome. Very cool. Well, Hey, Chris, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast and stuff. Oh, Great to talk you. to you. If people want to get in touch with you and learn more about software or learn more about culture plus, sure. how can they do that? What's your website? Um, so our website is love as a business strategy.com. Okay. We also have culture plus.com. And of course, software.com. So depending on the need, if you're looking for right. legacy technology, um, a culture or communications or creative work, software is going to be your, your first stop. If you're looking for a culture effort, if you're looking for a leadership development, if you're looking for tools to help build a better culture, culture dash plus is going to be it. Um, and then if you're looking for, of course, information about the book, our podcasts, um, that's sort of labeled the same as the book, um, love as a business strategy.com is also going to cool. be where you go. Very cool. Good job. All right. I'm going to have all those links in the show notes so people can, can reach out to you and stuff. And again, thanks so much for being on here and telling us your story. Thank you. This is yeah, awesome. Thank you. No, Very cool. I appreciate it. Enjoy all it. Right. Listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of notes, a lot of good takeaways here. Definitely check out the book, Love as a Business Strategy, um, and check out Culture Plus, culture-plus.com, correct? Yes. All right.
And uh, share this episode with your family, friends, colleagues, anybody in an organization could use help with their culture and uh, with their leadership style. So definitely check this out and uh, stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me. Coach Harlan saying so long for now. 